Hey, this is Derek Green from Sepultura. You're listening to The Underground. This is Christian from El Nino. This is Dino Cazares from The Fear Factory. Hey, this is Jerry Only. This is Jesse Leach from Kill Kitchen Gage. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter. This is Sonny from The Bad P.O.D. This is Sully Erna from Godsmack. Welcome to The Underground, Australia's home of rap, metal, and alternative music. And how about this for a big time interview? We have Thrash Legend himself, David Elson, on the show. David, how you going, man? Ned, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, man. Looking forward to seeing you guys here in a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's not too long at all, man. How excited are you to get back over here to Australia? I know you've been out here a bunch of times. Super excited. You know, Australia is not a place most people get to go. <laughs> and when we do go there, it's every few years, you know. It's a week or 10 days of our lives, so it kind of goes by pretty quick. So it, it's sort of the coveted spot on, on the planet that we all love to go to. And I think in this case, you know, me and Jeff Young were actually going to go there together on the So Far So Good So What tour in 1988. And the tour ended ended up getting canceled on our side. So it's fun for me and Jeff to, you know, to connect and go down there, you know, what, 35 years later playing the songs we were meant to play then. Now we're going to play them now. So thanks for your patience. (laughs) That that is quite patient, isn't it? 35 years. You have been out here before though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've been there a bunch of times. I mean, Megadeth finally got there in 91 on the uh, Rust in Peace tour. We were back there again, I think in the late uh, 90s. We were there on the um, 2001 on the World Easy Hero Tour. 2015, right before Dystopia, you know, came out. And, and I was there, it's funny, I was there twice in 2015, later in the year with Megadeth, but then earlier in the year, right before I recorded the Dystopia album, I was down there doing a spoken word tour. So, which, which you know, was kind of was a, it's, it's, it's brilliant the way it happened, actually, because I, you know, I'm a spoken word. I, I had a, a book out, a memoir, My Life with Death, and a friend of mine had arranged it to go down there. And it's funny because you can tell some stories, but let me bring the bass. And, and that turned in, that basically developed a new touring thing for me called Bass Story, which I then took around the world. I went to Europe, did it in America, went to South America. So thank you, Australia. It all started down there with you guys. So appreciate that. started here. And of course you've been down here. I think I actually spoke to you when you were doing that spoken word tour. You just sort of caught me off guard with your answer back there. It makes me want to ask the question though, David, what sort of crazy Australian things that have you picked up on that are just totally bizarre to you being an American? Is there anything just wild out here that blows your mind? Well, look, you know, I remember going to the Brisbane Zoo and not, I guess, the venue we're playing called the Zoo, but like yes. the Zoo, right? <laughs> and, and I remember that, that was in 91, super hot, really humid. When we went there because it was February, I think, and January, February. So it's pretty warm. But I remember, you know, holding a koala bear, right? And they had, it was the thing, right? Where you'd stand it, you come to the line, they put the koala bear yeah. And he was really cute. He'd hug you, and then they'd take the picture, you know? So I still have that photo, and it's that that is a priceless memory, man, because, you know, we don't have koala bears in Arizona where I live, <laughs> you know? So... <laughs> So that was that was one, and I remember, you know, there was a lot of people coming over from Tasmania because we didn't tour, we didn't actually go down to that island, which its own little country, I guess. A lot of those people were coming over to the shows, and I remember the first time I ever bungee jumped was it Sydney? I can't remember wherever we start. No, it was it actually it was in Auckland, New Zealand. So I guess that technically not Australia, but you know, part of the journey of New Zealand and over to Australia, I had to go down under to have all these awesome experiences. 
now. So yeah, that, it's, it's, that's awesome. it's, people are great. Would love it. You guys know how to have a great time. You're very rock and roll, and you seem to always enjoy when we go there. Oh, yeah, man. And, and very much looking forward to you getting out here playing the classics like you were talking about before. Killing is my business, and business is good, as well as so far, so good, so what? Where do they sort of sit in your favorites, David? You know, so far, so good was always one of my favorites. You know, it was the album that I started composing for the band. And, you know, part of it, I think, is just kind of naturally happened because we we're basically down to just me and Dave again as we transitioned out of the, you know, Gar and Chris lineup. Chuck was the drum tech, but then became the drummer because he, he is a great drummer and was the right feel and sound for those songs. That just kind of happened naturally on the road. We were in Washington, D.C. at the Bayou Club, I think it was, and Gar and Chris didn't come to sound check, and me and Dave knew we had to get these songs written because as soon as we ended the Peace Cells tour, we needed to go right in the studio and start cutting you know, what became so far as good. So, uh, so Chuck goes back there, and Dave's like, Chuck, get up there and play. And I remember we ripped through like Holy Wars, Mary Jane. No, not not Holy Wars. That was a, a year later. Uh, but Mary Jane in particular, you know, which was, is a pretty complex song. And, and Chuck knew it. I mean, it was like, okay, the boy's been paying attention. You know, he's sitting back there working for Gar's attack. But we heard him play. Like, he would set, you know, Gar's kid up, and he would play at sound, you know, before sound check. And it was like, yeah, Chuck can play, man. And, you know, he had this really kind of, um, he liked everything from Steely Dan to DRI, you know. And so he had this kind of punk rock thing about him. That, so I think he was a great sound on the record. You know, and we went into the album thinking we would just be a three-piece. We had our friend Jay Reynolds ready to do the record, but it, it, it was a little musically out of his wheelhouse, to be honest with you, because he came from Malice. It was a little bit of a different thing. So he actually brought Jeff Young in, and then we kept Jeff. <laughs> you know, we just kept it like, okay, Jeff, Jeff, the guy, he can play it. You know, look, let's face it, Chris Poland set the bar pretty high from the yeah. previous record. So, you know, and that really started this dichotomy, you know, inside the band where it was Dave and this other guitar player, and they had two very different sounds. Dave being the kind of gutsy Ted Nugent, Jimmy Page guy, and then the other guy being this, these virtuoso players, you know, from Chris Poland to Jeff to Marty Friedman to Al Petrelli and even Glenn Grover and Sean Broderick, or, or Chris Broderick, rather, and, uh, you know, now Kiko and stuff. So, you know, it, it, it sort of set, Jeff was kind of the one he, to continue the tradition, which sort of followed the template of that. So that record for me is a fond moment, you know, killing as well, but for different reasons, you know, is our very first record. In fact, we were so poor and so broke that by the time we finally got some money from combat to go in the studio, it was like, oh my God, we could live here. Like, we could stay, you know, and when we cut the track up to Melbourne at Indigo Ranch, it was, it was a big studio that the Moody Blues had owned. And so it had like a kitchen. I mean, if your budget allowed, ours didn't, you could actually hire a chef, you know, do the whole thing, right? It had these chalets so we could live there. And it, it was an hour up this dirt road up in the mountains of Malibu. So, I mean, it was way far away from LA. You know, you could really go up there and just escape and just really settle into the session, you know? We didn't have enough money to stay there very long. We, you know, basically recorded the, the basic tracks, the guitar, bass, and drums. And, and Killing, you know, that's me, Dave, and Gar recording that stuff together at one time you know that's one one take and we wouldn't make another record like that till euthanasia if we did that then me dave marty and nick menzo recorded together as as a band and so those, those that method of recording is is a, it produces a different product you know you get a different yeah. kind of vibe to it so so those are just you know some of my memories of, of those records in those days 
Yeah, they're fantastic memories right there, David. And like, very much looking forward to them catching them live and seeing them. And I guess all that sort of nostalgia and memories and stuff will come flowing back for you guys. Yeah, you know, reconnecting with Jeff again, here we are, you know, years later playing these songs that we would have played, you know, in 1988. But Jeff, he's a fantastic player, you know, like a lot of guys, once they were out of Megadeth, they never, they just kind of forgot how to play guitar like that. They intentionally, they said, okay, that gig is over. It requires a lot of effort to, to become that player in the band. And then when the gig's over, it's like, okay, let me just kind of forget all that, and sort of be debriefed after a session, right? It's like being a spy. Right, you're trained and then you're debriefed, right? Stick the needle in you and suck all your memory out, right? And um I like that. So, you know, Jeff went on to become, you know, he did a he had a number one record. It's funny, he's the only guy after Megadeth to go on and have a number one record, uh, at least pretty quickly, with this artist out of Brazil that he was working with. So he got into a lot of kind of Brazilian nylon string flamenco stuff not i shouldn't say flamenco this brazilian nylon string stuff so he explored other music you know so for him to come back all these years later and dig back into this you know to these records i think it was fun for him it was challenging for sure to just kind of remember all this but you know jeff is an incredible player man i mean he has not lost one one shred of his aptitude and capabilities so he's definitely on point and you know and again with this stuff you think he's played dave's parts Jeff's parts and Chris Poland's parts and you know so he's he's covering a lot of ground here yeah that, that's amazing right there and kind of switching things up David it Talking about the band Megadeth, obviously here, you guys have sort of popped up on so many cool things over the year. I remember last time I was talking to you, I was talking about the the Beavis and Butthead side of things with the Megadeth. I grew up yeah. on that. Bill and Ted as well. I wanted to tell you this story, man. I was interviewing the guy from Bill and Ted, Alex Winter, and I asked him if he was a Megadeth fan. And I, I, I kind of caught him out on this, David. He goes, oh, yeah, I love Megadeth, but they've never, you know, with all the references or anything like that, we've never actually had them on a soundtrack and i didn't know what to say man because that was yeah, definitely sure. that's how i discovered megadeth off the bill and ted's bogus journey soundtrack and i, I was know. just like man. you gotta kind of give you gotta give him a hall pass i know it's uh, yeah i had to <laughs> well but it's funny because megadeth and metallica were so popular together around the same time and some people clearly loved metallica and that's oftentimes they'd get us confused you know a lot of people just listen to music in passing they're not yeah. like you and me diehard fans we know who played what solo on what record in what year I mean yeah. you know we're cut from probably a different cloth than a lot of people who you know they, they like the music but that's it you know they don't really dig into sort of the lifestyle of it you know so but yeah you're right I mean it's funny Bill and Ted they came to us Tom Wally who was our our West Coast A&R guy at Capitol Records when he got signed in 86 he then went over to I think with Jimmy IV and they started Interscope Records and so that soundtrack was on Interscope so Tom loved Megadeth, loved Dave, and so he came to us. He said, I, I want Megadeth to do this song. So, and the title of the movie was called Bill and Ted Go to Hell. And that's why we called the song Go to Hell, right? So, and then after we recorded it, then they changed the name of the movie. I guess they, you know, when film, they do a lot of test marketing. 
They do these screenings in these small little theaters in Hollywood. They have 50 people show up. They ask them questions. I mean, they really do their market research. It's like Starbucks. You know, they don't just randomly put a Starbucks up. They know every car, every person. They know every pedestrian. I mean, they really know their numbers, man. And in film, they do the same thing because there's a lot of money on the line of this stuff, right? So uh, I guess they one of the things they realized is they had to change the name of the movie. That's why they did Bogus Journey rather than Go to Hell. And, but now at this point, we already had the title and, and, the, and the song was done. So we kept the title. They did not. And life moved on. But yeah, then, you know, then you're right. A couple years later, we got asked to do the Beavis and Butthead one. And, and fortunately, Beavis and Butthead, you know, look, careers were made or killed by Beavis and Butthead, right? Fortunately, <laughs> they liked true. us. And, but they, they liked us. So they, they, we got to be included in that. And then we wrote 99 Ways to Die. Uh, 99 Ways to uh, Die. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of a play on Paul Simon's 99 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Right. It was uh, kind of a little play on that. So, uh, yeah, we sat on the bus. We were on this tour. We we're going to go out with Errol Smith, of all things. But we were on a tour with Megadeth, Pantera, and White Zombie, who Beavis and Butthead loved White Zombie. And they yes, were I blowing did. up as a result. I mean, you could see it every night on, on this tour. And Pantera, of course, were becoming the big monolith that, that, that they became. And so we were driving down the road on the bus, writing the lyrics to the song. And we all threw some lines in and that's why it was fun because it got to be something we all got to participate in writing and yeah even, even our tour manager skip got a line in there Every, everybody got to participate it was a good time on that oh that's fantastic do you have like a favorite thing that your music's popped on up on like throughout the years is it like the Davis and butthead or the bill and heads or is it something else you know, that's a good question. You know, when we cut Cryptic Writings, we did that track for Duke Nukem, right? Which I didn't ever really see much more about that, but other pe- people were randomly tell me, dude, Duke Nukem, I'm like, oh my God, that's right, I forgot. You know, and it's funny, even with Risk, you know, with Risk, we cut uh, Crush Him, and, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme was, he used, that was used in a movie of his, so I remember he came to the, uh, he filmed some scenes, not with us, but at the same setting, it was this, this power plant in uh, Southern California, kind of south of Long Beach or something, I think, where we filmed it, and I remember he was there, I didn't, I don't know that I met him, I remember Dave was talking to him for a minute, but, you know, he's a badass, I mean, you know, so, and then, also, Goldberg, the big WCW yeah wrestler at that time he used it as his theme song and so i remember going that was fun man we went to the atlanta dome in atlanta and where they held the wcw and you know walking through the backstage and seeing all these wrestlers rehearsing their moves you know that that was cool man that was like a real kind of look behind the scenes of that because that that was freaking huge business man i mean that that was that's big time stuff the wrestling thing you know so it was it's fun to be part of that, you know. I've had a fun career, man, and we've had fun moments to be part of these things and Grammys and all this good stuff. So it's it's been a blast, man. Yeah, it's been amazing to sit back and watch. And I, I remember the WCW days and yeah, Goldberg coming out. That was absolutely huge at the time too. Yeah. And like, even, even you guys popping up on dirt bike videos <laughs> when I was growing up. I remember Symphony popped up on Steel Roots from I think it was Jerry McGrath. That was really cool seeing that there. So yeah. You know, yeah. It's just sort of been a cement of my childhood, which is awesome to see, man. But yeah. on the top of that side of things, you're now part of a band called The Lucid. 
you yeah. hooked up with Violent J from the Insane Clown Posse. Can you tell yeah, me yeah. that about David? That's very cool. Yeah, it's pretty off the wall. Well, you know, so that band, so Drew Fortier, I've done a little appearance in his movie Dwellers, and then I ended up helping produce the film with him with the Ellison film production thing I put together. He hit me during COVID. You know, everybody's at home. I had just done the Ellison no cover record because all of our tours were canceled. We're all at home indefinitely, not knowing really what the hell this whole thing was, pandemic. And so I just called my friends and said, hey, let's keep working the record. So, you know, that's where it was. So Drew hit me and he said, hey, you want to play on the became the song Hair with the Lucid, the first song I ever played on. And then I went to LA, you know, sat in my Keller studio. Vin came out from uh, Detroit and Drew drove out from Indianapolis and we all sat there and then I played bass and we recorded the record. And, and this was in 2020. So we knew this was gonna, it was gonna work. We knew it was gonna happen. And so that's, that's it, man. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And, and then a year later we put the record out. Yeah, no, that's crazy. So uh, how did you go about choosing the collabs there on that? David, what, why did you think Violent J? You know, that was a Vin thing. You know, Vin from yep. Detroit, St. Clown Posse from Michigan. That was his idea. Yeah. When we did the second round of, sh of uh, songs that we put out back in December and January, we recorded that. Man, we started recording that probably kind of early, mid 2022. Yeah. And um, that was kind of just a work in progress over the, over that year. And yeah, Vin brought the idea up and you know, it's funny, the song Saddle Up and Ride, I had, uh, I was, I had this bass at home and I just plugged in the Marshall and I was riffing a thing. I said, hey, think about this for a new song and Vin's like, I am on it. And he literally wrote that little country and western intro piece yeah. and then he wrote Song, and that's when he said he goes. I'd like to get. I'd like to ask Violet J to be part of it. It's his. It's his buddy, and and Vin's cool like that, man. He thinks way outside the box, and, and to come up yeah. with a, a cold collaboration like that, I thought was was really cool. We look, we put that song out like the day before Christmas because you know we're an independent band, and so it was like you know what? we don't have to follow any rules. Fuck it, let's put it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's give everybody a good Christmas present. Yeah, oh, most definitely. Yeah, if you, people checking this out haven't heard the Lucid yet, they are a whole bunch of fun. David, you've also got another side group. I believe it's pronounced Death, right? Dieth, yeah, Dieth. Oh, Dieth. All right, yeah, cool. Yeah, I've been pronouncing Dieth. it wrong the whole time. Dieth, yes, exactly. <laughs> Put the I in so Death, got, yeah. Yeah, Dieth, the Lucid, you've got this show coming up, Kings of Thrash. Is there anything else that you're involved in that people need to check out? You know, another record that I did a lot that came out last year was me and Jeff Scott Soto. So it's called Ellison Soto. I think a really cool record, kind of more of a power metal type of album. And some, some songs that I had written with Andy Martin who is in the Ellison band. He's out of uh, out of Rota, Italy. Great, great talent, cool guy. And so, yeah, we, we had Jeff, you know, collaborate with us on this. So, yeah, I think between the Lucid, Ellison Soto, Kings of Thrash, Dieth, the menu's pretty full, you know, so... <laughs> I would say so. I'd yeah. say you keep very, very busy. And of course, you are heading our way very soon, playing Canberra at the basement on the 12th of July. Brisbane at the zoo, not the zoo with the animals, the zoo venue, yeah. just to not get confused there, on the 13th of July. Max Watson, Melbourne on the 14th. The Crowbar to wrap things up in Sydney on the 15th. You can grab your tickets through hardlinemedia.net. David, really appreciate you taking time out, man. Got to say, this has been a bunch of fun and cannot wait to catch you guys live. Awesome, Dad. I look forward to meeting up when we get down there in a couple weeks, man. Thanks so much for your support.
This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.